The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. McCarthy got to speak, and he kind of set the record straight. He said, there's, no way, there's only one way to heaven. It's through grace, by, by grace, and it's a gift of God, not of works. But one question that he asked Larry King, he said, I know you don't believe in Jesus, because Larry King is an atheist himself, because he doesn't believe in God, because of all these natural disasters that are happening, and he thinks, how can God allow all this? So he said, if I stand in front of God, and what question would I ask him? He said, if he had a son. That is a very, very important question. If he had a son. Because before you'll answer the sin question, you'll have to answer the son question. You know, I've read that it's been estimated since the beginning of time, since earth existed. I don't know how these statistics come about again. But since the beginning of time, there's about 100 people, 100 billion people that existed in the world. 100 billion. And out of this 100 billion people, very few had a major effect on human history. There's one person that stands out in history, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, regardless of what you think of him today, existed or not, but Jesus attracted the greater combination of attention, devotion, criticism, opposition than any people that existed. Generations and after generations, theologians, philosophers, historians, they all sifted and studied his words for some reason, even if they believe he didn't exist. At this very moment, while we're sitting here, there's millions of people in other parts of the world they are studying God's word. He preached and taught little land of Israel. Israel is the size of New Jersey. Pretty much, I think it's a little bit smaller. His birth of this baby, of Jesus, divides B.C., A.D. We have that, right? Before Christ, and then at a dominion, a year of our Lord. That, to me, tells me every time we write a check, or we date something, we admit Christ's existence. He never wrote a song, but yet, so you know, he furnished so many themes for all kinds of songs. He never wrote a book, but look at all the books written about him. He never painted a picture. Google Jesus. See how many pictures you get. Different variations of Jesus. He never raised an army, yet millions throughout history laid down their lives for him. Jesus never spoke to more than a few thousand people at a time, but 33% of the world's population today claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. His ministry only lasted three years, three and a half years. Today, we have radio, we have social media, we have television, printed literature, all throughout the world. It just seems that we can't get rid of Jesus. He just keeps popping up everywhere. You know, I'll go to Walmart, I see a book, see a Bible, and then it says Jesus Calling. I go to Costco, there's Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. Who is this Jesus? One historian said, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. And these are just regular historians. So I want to go back to the scriptures we read last Sunday. 
and look at several things and see who Jesus is coming out of this passage. Because if you really want to know who Jesus is, you've got to go to the Scriptures. So we'll go we'll read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and those in heaven, those on earth, and those underneath the earth, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So first thing I want to notice here in the first verses 6 and 7 is Jesus is the supernatural Son of God. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming of likeness of men. That speaks of his birth. He was made in likeness of men. He was not conceived like any other child. He was born of a virgin. And Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 tells us, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you find the virgin birth to be difficult or challenging? If you do, you're not alone. Because Mary was the first one to question it. She had her doubts. When it was announced to Mary in Luke uh, uh, 134, she says, Then the Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered in the th verse 37, says, For God nothing is impossible. Now, if we have a difficulty with the virgin birth, we really have a difficulty with omnipotence of God. Think about it. For God, nothing shall be impossible. Jesus was virgin-born, supernatural son of God. He could not have been a son of Adam, because in 1 Corinthians 15.22, we all know this verse, For in Adam all shall die. Had he been of Adam, he would have a sin nature. And if you doubt the virgin birth, you got really king-sized character problems, friends. First, if we question it, we're really saying the Bible is not true. We're questioning the Word of God. Secondly, if we have difficulty with it, we're having a difficulty with the character of Mary. We could be saying that she was a harlot or something like that. Thirdly, we have a difficulty with the character of Jesus... Because we say he was legitimately, legitimately born and he had born in a sinful nature. But the biggest problem will be with our own character. If we denounce or refuse the virgin birth of Lord Jesus Christ, we have no real hope of heaven. Virgin, if we deny the virgin birth, it denies the Bible Christianity, smites the mother of Lord with shame, snatches the crown of deity from Jesus, Strips Christ of his uh, sinless humanity that he had. So first I want us to notice that Jesus is the supernatural son of God. Took upon him the form of a bound servant. Was made in the likeness of men by a virgin birth. Secondly, not only Jesus is the supernatural son of God. He is the sovereign 
Son of God. Philippians 2.6 says, For who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery. Now here's the point. To be equal with God. Equal with God. Not only is he Son of God, he is the God's Son. And Hebrews 1.8 says, and God, this is the God the Father speaking now, listen to it. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Son of God is God the Son. Now, this is the reason the Jews rejected him. Because he was the Son of God, and that did not fit into their theology. You know, in John chapter 8, they were kind of teasing him, and there was that conversation going on. And they're, they're the Jews saying, we know who our Father is. You remember that? Do you understand what the reasoning or the assumption there? You were illegitimately born. They were boasting that Abraham was their father. And in verse eight, 50, uh, chapter 8, verse 58, they say, uh, well, Jesus told them, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now don't miss that I am. The most sacred name for God the Jews knew at the time was I am. Remember when uh, God told Moses to lead the people out of, out of Egypt? Moses said, God, I need some credentials. How am I just going to walk in there and tell him to follow me? Who do I say sent me? He says, tell him the great I am. Not I was or I will be. He is the great I am. There would never was a time when Jesus was not. And there will never be a time when Jesus will not be. He is the self-existing God creator. You see, Jesus made some great claims about himself. And when you're listening to Jesus' claims, if you take yourself back in time, you're kind of on the horns of a trilemma. Either he was deceived and thought that he was God, or he was a deceiver, knew that he was not God and was deceiving people, or else he was deity. Deceived, deceiver, or deity. There's no other choice. Maybe some think he was a madman or a religious fraud. Or he was who said he was. You know, when the disciples said, show us the Father and will satisfy us. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And it's easy for us to read, but imagine this. I'm preaching and you guys say, Cornet, show us, show us the Father. And I say, you're looking at him. You're going to say, go get the straight jacket, get him off the stage, right? <laughs> but Jesus is the supernatural Son of God. And being the supernatural Son of God, he is the sovereign Son of God. Thirdly, he is the sinless Son of God. And being found in the appearance of man... He humbled himself, this is Philippians 2, verse 8, and became obedient to the point of death and even the death of the cross. You know, Jesus said, I always do those things that please my Father. Look in John 8, 29, he says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now I'm going to read a couple of more verses, Matthew 3, 17 God is saying, this is my beloved son who I am very ple well pleased. In Matthew 7, 5, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. Hear him. Do we always please the Father? 
Of course not. Jesus always, always pleased the Father. Sinless. Bible tells us in Hebrews verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is the sinless Son of God. All artillery of hell was aimed at Lord Jesus, yet he was without sin. Jesus had no itch the devil could scratch. There's nothing the devil can dangle in front of Jesus, uses bait, like in front of us sometimes. The devil doesn't have anything Jesus wants, needs, or desires. You know, in John 14, 30, Jesus said, The devil comes and finds nothing in me. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Satan has no trophies. And going back to John 8, those people that were saying, we know who our father is, look what he said to him in John 8, verse 46. After arguing and teasing him, he says, which of you convicts me of sin? Can you? I mean, I wouldn't ask that question to my friends. These are his enemies. If I said that, my wife would be the first one to get up. I'm lucky my dad's not here because he'll tell you the way it is. So, we see him as the sinless son of God. Now, if he's the sinless son of God, that means he is the sacrificial son of God. Again, verse 8, I want to read, Being found in appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even death to cross. You see, Jesus' death was not incidental, accidental. Jesus did not die as a victim. Look in John 10, verse 17, it says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus died in obedience to the Father so that you and I might be saved. His perfect submission to his father, took him all the way to death because that was the father's will. And we remember when he prayed in the garden, said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he knew it wasn't. He said, yet not as I will, but as your will. That was in the heart and mind of God before the world was even spun into space. In Revelation 13, 8, we read the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was already in God's plan. And you see the blood that was shed on that cross, the sacrificial blood, was the blood of God. Because Jesus is the God-man. Some people argue and say, well, Jesus didn't have blood because Jesus is spirit. Well, if you read John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus had blood coursing through his veins, but it was not Mary's blood. Because Mary was a sinner. She had Adam's blood. You know, some people don't like the idea that Mary was a sinner. She was, and she needed a Savior. She even said that herself in Luke 1, 46, 47 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She needed a Savior. Who needs saviors? Sinners need saviors. She had Adam's blood. And 
Also, if you look in Acts 20, 28, it says, Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Shepherd the church of God, which he, that is God, purchased with his own blood. Now, he's been a supernatural son of God, sovereign son of God, sinless son of God. That makes him a sacrificial son of God. And if he's the sacrificial son of God, he is the saving son of God. Look again in verse 8. And being found in appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because of Calvary. Why did Jesus come? In Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the solitary Savior. He is not a good way to heaven. He is not the best way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. You know, sometimes when I say, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Some people get their hackles up, but I'll tell you right now, apart from Jesus, there is no way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. He's the only one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just one more Savior. Listen, if he's not the only Savior, then he is no Savior because he said he was the only Savior. And Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under the heaven given among men to, by which we must be saved. And this is wonderful news. He can save anyone. It doesn't matter where the people are. I see people saved on death row. I see Hollywood actors leaving their life, coming to Christ. It doesn't matter where you are. Wall Street, Main Street, Madison Avenue. We all need Jesus. He is the saving son of God. There's no one that he cannot save, and there's not one that he will not save. You know... I was speaking to Vincent a while back, and he reminded me of this rhyme. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Humpty never met Jesus. I tell you, what the world needs today is Jesus. Jesus is what the world needs. You can thank God for Christmas, but imagine if there was no Christmas. What would your birthday mean? My birthday means just one day closer to death, one day closer, one year closer to emptiness, Christless eternity, just like the atheist. There's nothing. You just die. But because of his birthday, what does your birthday mean? Yeah, we're going to get old, but it means one year closer to Jesus, to see his face, to see my Savior's face. But we're not finished yet. The Lord Jesus is also the surviving Son of God. He is the surviving. Remember that crowd that I said, Hail Jesus, welcomed him in. Then they said, Nail Jesus. Well, they finally nailed him. Now they were saying, He's finished. But that's not what Jesus said. In John 19 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In Philippians 2.9, therefore God has also 
has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. See, the grave couldn't hold him. He was the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death. He said, I have the power to take it. I have the power to give it back. Take it up again. He is the firstborn from the dead. Revelations 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, they're saying, well, some other people were raised from the dead. You know, Lazarus and so forth. But the very first thing they started to do was to die again. But when Jesus came back from the dead, he is in a resurrected life and he lives to make intercessions for us. That is Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercessions for us. So who is Jesus? He is the surviving Son of God. Now, you know, I was watching that show, and they were talking about other religious, religious leaders. Confucius, where he's at. He dead. Muhammad. He dead. Buddha. Matter of fact, one of the things in the last days, he said, I am still looking for the truth. He dead. Jesus said, I am the truth. Can you imagine that claim? No other religious leader ever made that claim. I am the truth. I am the life. In Romans 1.4, we read, And declare to be the Son of God, the power according to the Spirit of His holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. So He is the surviving Son of God. Now, remember, Jesus said, It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. So therefore, that means he's the soon coming son of God. In Philippians 9 through 11, verse, chapter 2. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name of, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will shall bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those underneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus' return is going to be literal. It's going to be actual. Some missed his coming because they didn't believe in the prophecy. But Jesus literally, actually, visibly, bodily coming back. We read in Acts 1, verse 11, it says, you know, when Jesus ascended into heaven and all the apostles standing there looking at him, the angels came and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. It's literal. The same Jesus is coming back. Those feet that left the Mount of Olives will touch the Mount of Olives again. And they will crush the Satan's head and bruise beneath his feet. And friends, my desire, and we all ought to, fall on his feet. Jesus is the soon coming son of God. And when he does, knees will bow. Satan will bow his knees and confess that Lord, Jesus is Lord. All the people that on planet earth ever lived or will live will one day bow and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will confess. Some will do it willingly because they know him as a savior. Some will do it 
unwillingly because they reject him. But on that day, they will confess because there will be no alternative. The day of grace will be ended. Look at the last chapter, in verse, uh, last chapter of the Re- book of Revelation in verse 11. It says this, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him filthy, him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him holy still. On that day, there will be no longer an opportunity for repentance. No one will be absent on that day. Each one of us will say willingly or unwillingly. But that's the question. Will I confess Jesus willingly or unwillingly? So who is Jesus? So if you came here today hoping you'll get an answer, sorry. Jesus, to fully explain Jesus is beyond the bounds of possibility, my friends. My speech is too limited, and probably my English too, to describe him. My mind is too small to comprehend him, and my heart is inadequate to fully contain this one Jesus. Who is Jesus? But I'll tell you this, and I'm not saying it just for the show. Jesus is my best friend. He is more real to me than you are. I talk to him more frequently than I talk to you. And he's the son of God who left heaven, came to earth, suffered, bled, and died, and walked out that grave, a living Savior. His message to the world is this. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, we read, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friend, tomorrow is not guaranteed, yet so many of us, so many always say, I'll come to Christ tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I had one pastor working with a young fella, and he was trying to lead him to Christ, and he was saying to him, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And he said, today is the tomorrow you talked about yesterday. Friends, tomorrow is a lamp without oil that left many in the darkness. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what day may bring forth. And friends, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that He loves you and He wants to save you and He will save you if you give Him your heart. And I promise you on authority of the Word of God that He will save you. If He can show me anywhere, anybody, that when somebody came to Jesus with sincere faith, sincere repentance, and He didn't save them, I'll close this book and I'll never preach again. Christ is the light. There's no reason for you to stumble into darkness when you can walk in the light. It's regardless what you think of Jesus. It's interesting. You know, 20 centuries have come and gone. You know, I remember in in Soviet Union, people try to erase the name of Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is still there. Where's Soviet Union? Not there. All the people that try to erase the name of Jesus all have failed. Doesn't that ring a light bulb in your head? Why is that? Jesus still remains the central figure in human race. All armies ever marched, all governments ever sat, all the kings, queens, none 
have made an impact on this world as this one life of Jesus. You know, some people sometimes argue with me, why do I always tell people we need to evangelize, bring people to Christ? Isn't there something else to talk about? There is. But for me, it's bringing souls to Christ. Some people say, well, isn't God love? Wouldn't he just forgive? God is love. But a lot of those people forget. And to me, if I had one word, one word to describe Jesus or God, it is holy. Holy. God cannot let one half of his sin go unpunished. If he does, he ceases to be holy. Then he's a fraud. God will punish sin your sin, your sin will never get by, but your sin will either be pardoned in Christ or it will be punished in hell. But it will never be overlooked. So that's why I push for people to come to Christ. It will never be overlooked. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you're right about in your life, how successful you are, if you're wrong about Jesus. All of that doesn't matter. I have a friend named Jesus. There's no one other friend like he. I have a friend named Jesus. He gave his life to set me free. I have a friend named Jesus, a perfect sinless man. I have a friend named Jesus. For me, he has a plan. I have a friend named Jesus. On him I can rely. I have a friend named Jesus. All my needs he will supply. Let's pray before we move to our Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for the wonderful reminder of your sacrifice you made for us. Leaving heaven, coming in likeness of men, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we can actually have hope of eternal life. Amen. Now, today is a special day for me, because it will be the first time I'm leading communion in an English-speaking congregation. But in obedience with the Lord's command, we're going to share the Lord's Supper today. And I want to share a few words because the bread symbolizes the broken body for us. The cup symbolizes the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us. And I would like to invite everyone who knows Christ as their personal Savior to partake together in this Lord's table. If you have not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, then this is not for you. You should refrain from partaking until you come faith in Christ and then participate freely. Now, for those that have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and you're going to participate, not about you, but when I was little, Mama called us for supper. She always tell us to wash our hands, right? So the Bible warns us that we might partake in the worthy manner. We read in Corinthians. Man, come forward, please. We read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 28. But let the man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks of unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment of himself, not discerning for the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not become condemned with the world. So right now, I'd like to take a moment to examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin? And confess it before the Lord.
Father, we praise you and thank you for the love you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life of ministry and announcing the good news to your kingdom and demonstrating its power by lifting the oppressed, the prosecuted, healing the sick, and loving the loveless. We thank you for Jesus' sacrificial death upon the cross, for the redemption of the world, and for raising him to life again as a foretaste of the glory we shall share. We give you thanks for this bread and wine of fruit, fruit of the wine, symbols of Jesus' broken body and blood that was shed for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We read in Corinthians 11:23, For I received from the Lord that which I should deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat this bread in reverence of Christ's sacrifice for us. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink bread, bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
And Jesus said, this is my blood covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. And the Bible says before they went out, they sung. And the church has a tradition of singing Amazing Grace. And we'll conclude in prayer. So I'd like to honor that tradition and let's sing Amazing Grace. Close in prayer, brother. Okay. Absolutely. They won't hear me though. They will. You, you pray. You pray. All right. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, thank you once again for your love and sacrifice that you made for us, for each of us. Your love cannot be described towards us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the fellowship we had with each other around your word today. And I ask that you bless and keep each one of us throughout this week. In Father's name I pray, amen. How are you? I got like a biggest migraine headache. Do you really? Are you okay? I don't know, man. It's been bothering me for like a week. Really? Yeah, right. Did you take anything? Yeah, but it doesn't help. Really? So Do you get them a lot or something? No. It just happened the last three weeks. Like, the entire head. You need to go get yourself checked out. Man. Well, I work for I already know. I work for Ohio. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what they're going to do. First thing they're going to do is like an MRI, which will cost like $10,000. And then they'll say, here's some pills. Yeah. And then if it continues, come back. <laughs> have you, like, but have you like taken like Advil or anything? Or, yeah. Are you like a big caffeine drinker? Or? Yeah. I wonder if it's just strength. I don't know, stress. but it's just, 